Welcome along to Extra Time here on LCFC Radio and LCFC TV after Leicester City's two-all draw with Burnley at King Power Stadium on Saturday. Uh, joining me for the next 45 minutes to an hour or so will be Matt Elliott and Tony Cotty to talk through that game with Burnley. Look ahead to Thursday's Europa League trip to Poland. Uh, and there'll be a few other little bits as well. We'll look at some of the other Premier League results and these two will go head-to-head in our football Jenga. Um, without further ado, let's get these two introduced. So, um, Matt, Tony, how are you both? Yeah, good, mate, Steve. Not bad at all. Good to see you, TC. All good. Good, Dan. Thanks. Good to see you, Matt. Uh, obviously, Matt, you were at the, the game for us on Saturday. Um, strange game, wasn't it? I think yeah. it's, it's quite a tough one to describe, really, the way the game went. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, It was very... Unburnley like game as well, wasn't it? Yeah, end to end, the first half. Um, literally could have been, certainly over the course of the game, could have been four each. Um, and in the first half, probably three each. There was incidents galore and it was, you know, it was fast paced, it was frantic. Uh, it was, it was hard, <laughs> difficult to make of it, really. Um, I, Burnley, I thought, were, were excellent, really. For, you know, certainly for the first hour or so. Worked so hard, and uh, you know the, the energy that they put into games. It made it difficult for Leicester. But Leicester had their moments as well, and um, literally could have gone either way in the first half. But you have to credit Burnley for taking the chances when they did, making it really difficult for Leicester. But eventually, I think it was just that, that Leicester got something out of the game, and probably overall the right result. Yeah, obviously, Tony. I'm, I'm sure you. You weren't able to see it live, given the fact it was a three o'clock kickoff on, on a Saturday. But you'll have seen the highlights. What did you make of it? And will will Leicester be disappointed? Do you think? Um, yeah, I think they will be, Dan. In terms of the result, yeah, I, I must must admit it's frustrating. Like, because three o'clock on a Saturday, where we had all the games in the uh, obviously in COVID last season, we could watch every single game, and it's frustrating for me. I'm tuning in on a three o'clock on a Saturday, and I can't see the game live. So it's it's, it's great frustration from my point of view. But um, I saw the highlights. If you look at the, if you look at the result in general, and say you're at home to Burnley, you look at where Burnley are in the league. I mean, I know Matt said they played well, and I accept that. And they, they'll always fight. They'll always work hard for their manager. But you're looking at a team that hasn't particularly started the season that well. And from Leicester's point of view, you're at home. It's a game. If you're in that dressing room before the game, you're thinking to yourself, you know, we need to get three points here. Obviously, coming off the back of the disappointment of the Brighton result, um, so. You, you can't say it's anything other than a slightly disappointing result. But, you know, having taken on board all what Matt said and seeing the highlights and that, you know, when you're 2-1 down and sort of obviously need to get back into the game to get at least a point, it probably on a share. I think, you know, judging by the highlights I saw, I think probably it was on a share. was probably about the right result there. And it looked as if Tony as well, Burnley had stolen it right at the very, very end with that, that Chris Wood disallowed goal. Yeah, and and again, like um, you know, you you see the you see the uh, the clip, and you, straight away, you, you, I think you when you played the game, you you know whether you're live at a game or whether you're watching it as highlights as I was, you know, you have a, an immediate thought about whether a goal's offside or not. You know, I mean, I, I know if you're watching the game purely as a fan, there's all the excitement, and you don't quite take in who's in what position. But my Original faults were he's offside, 
Uh, and then, of course, when you see it, uh, you know, right with the replays and that, you know, fortunately he was offside, you know. But uh, listen, we've seen it with the last, what, three weeks that Leicester have played in the Premier League, last three games uh, or so. You know, there's been incidents involving VAR. Some have gone for Leicester. Some have gone, as we know, at Brighton against Leicester. And, you know, you, it, it's the same old saying. That we know, obviously, me and Matt, we never had the benefit of VAR. But you, you like to think that through the course of the season, those sort of incidents, they're leaving itself out. By the time you get to playing 38 games, you might have had five gone for you and five gone against you. Yeah, I think if, if that had have, have counted, Matt, we were watching in the studio at this point, weren't we? Because obviously we were getting set up for, for doing the post-match, so we didn't really get to see the reaction of, of the Leicester fans, but it would have been a real gut punch, really, wouldn't it, if, if that would have stood? Yeah, of course it would have. At that late stage, there was no coming back, was there? And you know, to, to come back into the game through two Jamie Vardy equalisers, uh, if ultimately your efforts were in vain, it, it would have been more than a little disappointing. But it was very, very close, though. Uh, TC says there, rightly, you know, was offside. But initially, that was my instinctive reaction. But you would have thought, oh, the way this game's gone, you wouldn't be surprised if there was another twist. And it, it was also a little bit indicative of how Leicester defended on the day in general, really, because you, you, you could feel the pressure building at that late stage when, you know, they knew the ball was coming into the box. Now, you've got to defend for your lives. You know, this is a big key moment. And I thought they were just a little bit, not soft, but a little bit weak, um, clearing the ball. You know, the ball was won twice by Burnley players, airily, in the box, and a third time by Wood. Okay. You know, he was obviously offside, but last ditch, last minute defending. Yeah, you need to be a little bit more resolute than they were, really. And I thought they were a little bit suspect throughout the game in, in the heart of their defence, which is unusual. But um, good good awareness and good intelligence by Timothy Castagne, who realised that he, he couldn't get close enough to Wood to actually affect him physically, but he was playing Wood on side. So he, he preempted. He saw what was happening. He saw that the second header was being won by Bernie Player. Subsequently, just stepped up at just the right time. Half a second later, Wood would have probably been onside, and that was the difference. But yeah, he stepped up, played Wood offside, and um, and obviously the, the goal was cancelled out. But you know that was sharp, intelligent play from him. But the other defenders around him, you know, it was a little bit, little bit frail, really, and. I thought the way Burnley set up and the way Leicester approached the game uh, made it a bit of a mix-up there in the middle of the park. Because it was literally two against two. Um, Vidra and Wood against uh, <coughs> Leicester. And it seemed like a little bit of lack of communication there and a lack of readiness for, for when the ball was played up early to the two Burnley strikers. And even physically, it was difficult for them. I mean, so aren't you Vestergaard, you know, big, strong lads as well, but the two Burnley strikers made it exceptionally hard for them. And because of that, you felt Burnley always had a chance in the game. Oh, obviously, I know, Matt, you used to play centre-half, Tony, you played a striker, but I guess it's the same kind of question, really, that when you used to play as a two, Tony, if you had a new strike partner, or if you joined a new club or if someone joined, does it take a little bit of time to gel together, similar to maybe what's happening with Soinchu and Vestergaard? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, obviously, probably the best partnership I had. I mean, I had a fantastic partnership with, with Emil, obviously, at Leicester. But people always talk about the Cotty McNamara partnership back in the 80s that I had at West Ham. But, 
you know, that took probably about seven or eight games to get going, Dan. And then once it did, it was fine. But you have to work it. You know, you, any any partnership, and you know, particularly the centre half partnership now, because uh, you know, in general, we don't really see. You know, Jamie obviously plays the lone role up front for, for Leicester. I know you've got the two wide players, but it's not really a partnership until Ian Acho comes on. Then it becomes a partnership. Um, but if, at the moment, with current day football, you've got to say that the only the, the main real partnership, I know you get the centre midfield ones, and that's slightly different because they're perhaps different players, but that centre-half partnership is the real heartbeat of the team. It's, it's what keeps you defensively stable. Um, and you know, I'm listening to Matt there with like saying about the, the difficulties and the frailties in the defence and that. But we shouldn't really expect anything else at the moment. I think because you know Soyuncu, you know, he, he played with his you know Fafana and Evans last year, and it was all well established and well organised, etc. And then you get your injuries, then you get a new player come in, and it's 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 as hard for Vestergaard. Vestergaard's coming into a new club; he's got to settle in with the new players, understand how they work. Soyuncu has then got to react to Vestergaard, so you've got that going on as well. You've got a new left back in place as well, albeit he's a very good player. So you know it, it, it takes time. There's so many injuries in that in that Leicester back four, and you know Brendan. I think I'm right. Johnny Evans was on the bench. Is that right, Dan? I think at the weekend, which you know Johnny needs to come back into that team. If you get Johnny back in the team, you've got the option of playing the back three like they did in many times last season, or you've got the Soyuncu Evans that can go as a partnership in the back four. But it does take time, and unfortunately, when you're going through that period where there's injuries and players are getting used to each other. There's going to be mistakes, and as we saw with that first goal, uh, a lack of communication in terms of Jamie Vardy's own goal. So, you know, that can happen when you've got players who aren't used to playing with each other. Is, is it quite hard to, to analyse that as a defender, Matt? We, we have talked a lot about set pieces and, and defending set pieces this season, but can you put that down as just a freak goal? Um, to a degree, to a degree. I think on reflection, and it might be a little bit, Overcritical when you, you're analysing, um, it's you know, small margins. But I think Jamie Vardy's positioning, with it being an in-swinging ball, perhaps he was a little bit too far out. Um, and you know, I'm sure Jamie would, would would argue that wasn't the case. But you just adjust your position. You know, if it's an out, if out swing, a left foot was taking it, you, get, you know the ball is likely to be further away from goal by the time it reaches that penalty area. So you can give yourself an extra bit of distance there so you can cover the ground. But with it being an in-swinger, you know, you, you start from a narrower position to the byline, if that makes sense. And then if it is, um, you know, a little bit further out, then you can go and attack it rather than going towards your own goal. Because it actually came off the right side of Jamie's head and it, or, or then he's flicked it on towards the goal. Um, so his positioning is questionable. Like, we're, we're talking minute details here but I I don't know it's, it's just something to look at possibly consider but the other thing is as well again we talk about communication this is not regarding the centre arms I think it was Ricardo behind Jamie um, there was no Burnley player within five yards pretty much of the ball there was no immediate danger or challenge Ricardo can maybe be a little bit more vocal there I don't know whether he's called or not or whether Jamie's moved too late for him to pull out of the header but you know, someone needs to sort of take control, really, and be sure. Like, Ricardo could tell that he, he should be able to win that ball unchallenged. It's coming on to him directly. Jamie was struggling to get a bit on it. Um, you know, Ricardo could have been a little bit more stronger there and, and dominated the situation. 
listen, it's difficult to say because it happens in a flash, it happens in an instant, doesn't it? But yeah, there was no need to concede that goal, put it that way. If it's a great ball whipped in, you're under challenge and you get nudged off the ball, maybe. But there was no immediate threat from Burnley. So that needs to be addressed. I think it comes back to Matt. I mean, we, we spoke about it last week. I think I was talking about corners and defending and that. But, you know, in a way, do you really need Jamie Vardy there, you know, in that position? Because it, it is a bit of a key position because it is, if the ball comes in flat, you need to be able to clear it. I think often, and I'm just talking purely from a forwards point of view, you, you're almost, you don't really want to be there. And you're not as experienced as a defender. I'm not saying you, you, you put Matt Elliott at the front, the front post like that because you want Matt Elliott picking up the big boys at the far post. But you want more, maybe like a Ricardo, like you say, just someone with that little bit more experience. And it's the worst feeling in the world, Matt. You know that feeling, whether, you, whether it's the in-swinger for the corner like that or even if the ball's played to you up front and that and you're going up for your header and you know you've missed time your jump and you know the ball is going to go over your head. And what do you do? Because if you duck out the way... You're going to cause problems anyway, which was another option for Jamie, obviously. And that would have caused problems. Or you do your best and you try and get your head to it. And in the end, you just got in caught, got caught in two minds. But, you know, personally, I would rather see Jamie Vardy standing up on the halfway line with two, you know, occupying two defenders. But, you know, that's yeah. another story. But it, it, is, it is a worry. I know it's a different goal to what we've been conceding. But it comes back to, as you know, what I've always said about the, the, the defending from set pieces, free kicks and corners. You know, analysing it, you know, trying to be constructive criticism, it does worry me less than defending from those set pieces, as has been proven again this season. Yeah, I think in fairness, sorry, Damon, I think in fairness, Jamie Vardy generally does a good job there at the near post. Yeah. Um, I think in that instant, I probably, like you say, Jamie's gone up, knows he's struggling, but it's difficult unless you get an early clear shout yeah. from Ricardo. Ricardo's ball early, Jamie knows to leave it there. But I'm not sure there was any any vocality there, and I think uh, you know he's taken. What do you do? Like you say, if you leave it and someone steams in and heads it in the back of the net, then you look and the dumb. Matt, you, know the, you know the golden rule is you don't leave the ball. If you don't get a call, you have no. to deal with it. You have to try and you know he's done his best. Obviously, he's got his timing wrong, but in in general, if, I mean, you're getting more trouble leaving the ball than if you try and actually attempt yeah, to exactly. head the ball. Exactly, and it is a little bit of an issue. <laughs> You mentioned it, a little bit of an issue set pieces. And and when it becomes an issue, it plays on people's minds and it creates a sort of nervousness and hesitancy there. And, you know, something you just have to sort of work through, really. I don't think you could ignore it. Um, I think it's worth taking a look at it in training purposes, but that doesn't mean there's going to be a definite remedy. You know, it's, it's, it's sort of a gradual thing sometimes. And before you know it, if you apply yourself properly or aggressive, um, in defending set pieces, you know, people take take over, take control. All of a sudden, the problem slowly becomes eradicated, and it becomes a bit of a memory. And other teams work on it as well, Matt, don't they? You know, let's let's yeah. be honest. You know, if it is a weakness or perceived as a weakness, other teams work on it. We've got we've seen quite a few teams this year are employing set piece coaches. What the hell that means, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I'm surely anyone knows how to take a long throw, for example. But you know, but the point is, I, I think we've we've Top flight, particularly the Premier League, there's such fine margins. And if you can do anything that helps you to win a game, like bringing in a set-piece coach, teams are going to do that. And, and the games are so tight sometimes that set-pieces, we well know, Matt, it's never really been any different. Set-pieces, whether it's corners, free kicks, makes a massive difference in terms of scoring goals and conceding goals. 
Well, he more than made up for it, Matt, didn't he, Jamie Vardy, later on in, in the yeah. game with, with both the goals. <laughs> uh, the first one in particular was a, a brilliant team goal again. Yeah, it certainly was. He's, we could have had three or four, couldn't they? Um, you know, what a performance from him, really, when it mattered. And you, you felt it was inevitable as well, didn't you? Because, as is usually the case, the away supporters were giving Jamie um, a little bit of verbal. Um, one day they will learn. And uh, before they know it, right on cue, he pops up with the goods, doesn't he? But, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a decent goal. It was a decent goal anyway. Um, nicely played through by Tillemans, wasn't it? And well-weighted. And Vardy, he made it look so easy. And it really isn't. <laughs> um, not from that position and that, you know, slightly wide of right. Um, it wasn't like he was bearing down on goal. Could have had a touch, maybe, but he's, he's he's almost screwed it across the far post, drilled it in there, and Pope. I, th I think Pope wasn't able to react properly because it, the strike was taken so early as well. You know, he's probably looking to set himself, thinking Vardy's going to have a touch and maybe then make his his move. But uh, yeah, no, it was a beautifully executed goal and uh, went off and celebrated in style, didn't he? Again, Jamie Vardy. So. Uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was part of a frantic first half, wasn't it? I mean, Jamie should have scored later on with a header. There. Yeah, before, was it? Nine times out of ten. Was that before, was it? Before, um, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I mean, he could have and should have scored there. And there was one, Lowton made a couple of amazing uh, defensive plays. One, a block, and the second one, he just got in. Ahead of Jamie Vardy's, it's played across the box. When it looks inevitable, he's going to finish. So, Jamie... It, Again, it was a funny game from him, really, because recollection, he wasn't involved that much in general play, but could have quite conceivably have got four on the day, but I suppose two will do. It was a great goal from Burnley immediately in response to that Leicester goal, Tony, as well. Maxwell Corner, he, he seems to have started really brightly from a Burnley point of view, and he took his goal brilliantly. He did, and uh, you can't give him it. Again, you can sort of nitpick a little bit defensive and all that, but when a player strikes a volley like that, I mean, you know, it was the, technically it, it's one of the hardest skills to do in a game a volley. Um, you know, with volleys, it's so easy to either just get too much on it, you hit the ball into the ground, at which point Casper uh, Smigel is going to just chuck his hands on it, or you get underneath it and goes miles over the bar, and it, it, it's those hours of practice that you do at the training ground and you know I, I'm not going to give the you know the lad anything other than praise it but technically it's one of the hardest skills in the game and it was a fantastic finish from Leicester's point of view obviously conceding what was it three four minutes you know after Jamie had put them level then you know there was a huge disappointment and especially coming just before half time and we all know what that does in terms of changing the dynamics of the game but you know, let's give the lab prize. It was a fantastic goal. It was one of them probably featuring in, I'm guessing, in the match of the day goal of the month uh, when they pick their 10 best goals, it might well be in the competition. We were sort of laughing, weren't we, really, Matt, at the, the impact he had in that opening 40 minutes. He, he did everything, really. He played well, scored a brilliant goal, got booked for time-wasting, and then got the injury and had to go <laughs> off. It was a strange yeah. 45 minutes or so. Yeah, he's, uh, he's had an eventful week, hasn't he? Yeah, played in the Carabao Cup. Um, and <laughs> made a little name for himself and a few antics on the pitch apparently and yeah he was he was a big figure in the game but um, it, Tony says there about defensively uh, disappointing from Leicester's point of view there and I thought it was sort of 
little bit of a gamble that Brendan Rodgers took you know, with looking to get the full-backs that they have, whose, whose natural assets are going forward, Bertram, Ricardo. You, know, you want to see that from them. Just nearly balancing off a little bit, maybe. Ricardo was caught out of position. Um, he, he was struggling to get back, couldn't get there. Great finish by Cornado, as you say, well picked out. And um, people will criticise and say, well, goalkeeper got done at his near post. But in this case, I don't think there's any need for sort of a remonstration there. It's, it was wonderful strike, wonderful strike and controlled. And <laughs> it sort of summed up the first half, really. Uh, it went for Cornet, yeah. You know, he, he was involved heavily, scored the goal, like you say. It's booked. There's a negative side. Then injured, etc. There, there was loads going on in that first half. It was, it was a good watch. Yeah, I think Burnley fans are excited to see him. Uh, there won't be many dull moments when uh, Corne's on the pitch, that's for sure. Um, Jamie Vardy eventually got the equaliser, Tony, didn't he? Um, some more good football again from Leicester, but th- this one was more about Jamie Vardy, wasn't it, than it was about the team? Yeah, and what I love about Dan is, is, is the range of his finishing. You know, over the years, we've seen Jamie score such different goals. You know, Matt described the first goal, you know, fantastically well. But it, you know that first goal. It's it's his awareness of what to do in a particular situation, and all the great goal scorers have it. Yet you've got a split second to make your mind up on what to do. And that first goal, you know, so many times you see a player that. What I'm trying to say, what he did for the second goal. If he'd have done that for the first goal, then I'm pretty certain that Pope would have saved it because he'd have taken the touch, he'd have closed him down, he probably wouldn't even got his shot in the target. But he knew. That if he took it early, the keeper can't get set, and it was a wonderful strike into the bottom corner. With the second one, he's got the awareness that the goalkeeper's right on top of him. And again, you sometimes see so many players, they panic, and you know, they're trying to hit a first-time shot, it smashes it straight at the goalkeeper or whatever. But you know, the touch to go around him, and, and there was some wonderful camera angles and when they slowed the goal down. And not just the first touch, because... The first touch is always the important one in the penalty area, whether it's a first-time strike or whether it's a touch that takes you around the goal. I know he probably was slightly outside the area probably when he had to touch, but that first touch is, is the most important one. It takes it past the goalkeeper, but it didn't really change the angle to a great deal as in he's going towards the byline. It, it, it was a fantastic touch and the composure just aside for it and you know, great picture, and you see Jamie watch as soon as he knows it's going in. He's, he's turning the run into the fans before the ball's even gone over the line. It's, that's the best feeling when you've got that. You stroke the ball, you know it's going in. No one's going to stop it. You're off celebrating before the ball's even crossed the line. Um, two great examples of, of Jamie Vardy's quality. As I keep saying, he's getting better and better. His experience, his overall awareness of the game, and he's finishing uh, at the moment. There's second to none. And uh, the only, my only question would be, does he get the match ball? Because obviously he scored the, the own goal as well. If I was him, I'd be getting the match ball signed after the game with those two goals. <laughs> yeah, te- technically a perfect hatchet, really. Yeah, exactly. The header, yeah. the left foot and the right foot as well. Technically, yeah. <laughs> um, both the goals as well, Matt, I think we said, didn't we, on, on Match Day Live after the game, that you had no doubt, really, Jamie Vardy was... was you knew he was going to score is what I'm trying to say. Certainly for the first yeah. one. And the second one, as soon as he takes it round the goalkeeper, even though it's on his weaker left foot, you know he's going to be able to put it in. I was actually more confident with the second. Um, both, both goals, very difficult um, executions, but he made it look so easy. The, the, as Tony was sort of referencing there. Um, he's, he's such a, 
complete striker in, in those positions, certainly. So uh, I just think efficiency, really. You know, it was, it was very matter-of-fact almost for him. And, it's, and that's a great point that Tony makes there, you know, about how top-quality strikers, goal scorers, have that innate ability to just work everything out in a flash and assess the situation. I know it's sort of in some ways, you know, it's part of your awareness as a footballer in general, you know, knowing your surroundings. But it's totally different in that particular environment in front of goal. And, you know, to, to assess that thinking. And I think Tony's 100% right there. If he has a touch for that first one, goalkeeper, the size and frame of, of Pope coming out in that position is more than likely to either get the block or force you too wide. Um, and so, he, you know, he's he calculated that straight away. He, right, what do I do? Bang, what's my best option? Boom, hit it first time. And that's it. He's gone. And it caught Pope by surprise. And I, I, I don't know, Tony will tell you better than me. I'm sure you can practice that. But a certain degree of it's got to be sort of natural ability, you know, natural mindset of, of how they assess it. And the second one, exactly, made it look like it was, you know, walking apart from him, really. I think Pope, in hindsight, could have made it more difficult for him. I think coming out like that, committed himself, made James' mind up for him. From there, on his left foot, is he scoring if, if Pope stays at, at home? Um, certainly would have been more difficult for him. But again, Jamie didn't get excited by that prospect. Thought, oh, here comes a keeper, boom, touch. And he still had a lot of work to do on the finish. Um, I think it was, uh, was it Lowton maybe? I'm not sure he was trying to clear it off on the line. But, um, you know, they were doing their utmost to get back. But the quality on the finish was such that no one could stop it. Yeah, I mean, there was half a second where you thought he was going to run the length of the pitch as well to the Burnley fans, didn't you, in, in celebration? <laughs> but he, uh, uh, he refrained from doing that after celebrating that first one. Um, Adam Ola-Luckman had, had another really good game, Tony. We seem to be talking about him every single week at the moment on extra time. He, he's come in and looked a real bright spark. Yeah, he has. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really pleased for him. Um, you know, I've seen him quite a lot over the last three, four, five years playing for different clubs, and you've always felt that there's a real player there. And you know, I mean, he got the nod obviously to to start the game in front of James Madison. That tells you everything about what he's doing, what the manager thinks of him, what he's been doing in training, and even more so in terms of coming on. He had a great impact in in, the, in that Brighton game as well. So yeah, he deserved his chance to start. And he looks a really, really good player. And again, it's just another example of Brendan and the, the you know, the scouting staff looking at players and, and thinking, you know, what a, what a good player this lad could be. Get him into the football club, bet him in. And uh, yeah, so far he's been an excellent signing. I, you know, I always felt he would do well because, you know, all what I've seen, you know, particularly at Fulham, you know, you, you could see that there was a real good footballer there. So I'm really pleased for the lad. It, it almost seems like a, a risk-free gamble in a way, doesn't it, Tony? Not even a gamble because... He's on loan. It's certainly a chance to see what he's capable of this season. And and like you said, at Fulham, he was one of their only bright sparks really last season. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, it's it's not a gamble, Dan, is it? You know, it's, if you if you bring a player into the football club on loan, you know, in in some respects, signing players on loan is is even better than bringing them in on. You know, as long as you've got the option to purchase them, obviously. You know, because when you sign a player, you just you just never know with players. You know, sometimes. We've seen it many, many times in the past where players, you know, fantastic at one club, go to another club, 
and they look like they've, they've never kicked a ball before. And it could work the other way. Sometimes you see a player, you think, oh, he's not very good, and he goes to another club, and he's unbelievable. So with the loan signings, you know, it's, it's a good way to take advantage of it. And you, you can't really lose, because if Lookman comes in, does what he's doing which at the moment, he's fantastic, you sign him up, not a problem. If he comes in and it doesn't work, so thanks very much, and off you go back to your parent club. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a no-brainer really for Leicester, and the, the way he's going, you know, that will certainly be a permanent deal. Yeah, he, he seems to pick the ball up in a lot of different positions, Matt, doesn't he? Whether he's on the right or the left, I know he's played kind of both of those uh, at, either, at times already in his, his Leicester career, but he, he can pick the ball up in the middle of the pitch on the half turn and, and look bright and strong. He can pick it up on the left, on the right, wherever it might be. He always wants to be involved. Yeah, that's right. He's just a naturally talented footballer, isn't he, really? You know, the way he moves with the ball and his acceleration as well is exceptional you know, from a standing start or when he receives the ball, he can, he can move away from players, past players, um, receives the ball very well as well. We saw it on a number of occasions, but particularly uh, against Brighton, I think it was more apparent than anything. He opened his body up, he let the ball run past players and take them out of the game. Um, and yeah, you know, create situations. He looks very bright. He looks very bright, doesn't he? You know, he's got good control of the ball as well in tight areas. He can wriggle out of situations. And you know, it looks like he's more than capable of not only creating opportunities, but converting them as well. You know, hopefully getting his fair share of goals as well. And he's adding to Leicester's firepower and attacking ability. I think a lot of people were happy to see him in the lineup on Saturday, you know, before the game on the um, social media comments on, on our show. It was all positivity in terms of most people thought that was Leicester's strongest available team for selection, barring Johnny Evans at the moment, who's on the bench, but obviously we're assuming that's a little bit of a precautionary um, move in terms of you know his sort of reintroduction back to regular football. But um, yeah, Adam, look, he's become a little bit of a fan's favourite already in a very short time. He's been at the club. You know, you do worry when, or wonder maybe, more, rather than worry, when a player of his quality is allowed to go out on loan from another club, you think. And the amount of clubs that he's had, you know, everyone's spoken about that early in his career. But maybe maybe now's the time for Adam Lookman at Leicester City. He's, I've heard him speak so glowingly about Brendan Rodgers, how much he's enjoying that. And you would imagine if anyone could bring the best out of him, it'll be Leicester City manager. So um, things look good at the moment for him, yeah. I've seen a few tweets this week from Leicester fans just saying, Please don't fall in love with a lone player. Please don't fall in love with a lone player. But I think Leicester fans have, have already done that with Adam Ola-Luckman. Uh, another player we, we've talked about quite a bit as well is, is Kelechi Inacho. Tony, again, he, he settled for a place on the bench and came on and, and again looked really bright. Yeah, and I really feel for him at the moment because um, he had such a fantastic end to last season. You know, forced his way into the team, didn't he? And, you know, I remember being on the show many times, you know, drawing about his performances, his quality of his finishing. Every time he sort of gets knocked down or he's not in the team, and he comes back into the team, comes on as a sub, as he did, at the, you know, uh, on Saturday, and, and has an impact on the game. And there's so many players that, you know, you get left out, and the egg goes down, and they come on, and they're sulking, or they're not interested, or... 
you don't feel like they're just, you know, they're not quite on their game and that. But I, I don't see that with Kalechi. I'm a big, big fan. I think he's a, you know, he's a fabulous finisher. Um, he brings a lot to the squad, without a doubt. And I know Brendan knows that. And he would be very, very reluctant to let the player leave because of what he brings. He gives them the option of playing two up front. You know, he, he can come on if, if there's an issue with Jamie. Uh, you know, and he can change a game. He can have an impact on a football match as well. So he's a huge part of the squad. But I do feel sorry for him, a little bit sorry for him, because as a footballer, Matt will tell you this, you, you don't want to, what do you want to be sitting on the bench for? You know, you don't train all week to sit on the bench. You, you train all week because you want to be in that starting eleven. So he would have been really, really frustrated. only way you can change things is to get on the field and play and just get down, score goals, make goals, try and prove the manager wrong in a nice way. He seems to do that and he keeps bouncing back. So I've got a lot of admiration for what he does. Will he play on Thursday? Do you think, Matt? We can look ahead now to that Europa League game in, in Poland and obviously a long, long trip, tough game. Yeah, um, good question. <laughs> the, the team selection is, uh, keeps everyone guessing, doesn't it, really, at the moment? The different fixtures coming up thick and fast and different competitions. And um, we're looking at it thinking... You know, Pats and Daka, is he going to get a game, get a start? And the, the good thing is there are lots of options. I think Kalecci will probably, yeah, probably start um, in one form, in one position or another. Sorry, but I'm just sort of trying to mull things over my head now. You know, thinking about, look, Brendan Rodgers has got, not a headache, but he's got an issue in terms of what, what approach, what system has to play. Because, you know, he's changed it a little bit already. Was the four-two-three-one pretty much? And over the last couple of games, it's been more of a four-three-three. And so he has those variations to consider. And Kalechi can play in numerous roles. I, I suppose his second striker is probably his best role. You know, even if he's not an out-and-out out number ten, although he can play anywhere across that front line. But, you know, he's a good enough player. He's not an out-and-out striker. He can play that role um, and be the main goal scorer. But he can also link up play. His touch, when he's, when he's on form, his touch is very mature. Um, you know, I think it's underrated at times. Other times, he can look a little bit amateurish. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a conundrum himself as a player. But the form he's been in for a long period of time now, and I'm in total agreement with Tony, really. And I can understand the reasons why he doesn't start regularly. But someone who's been playing as well as him for as long as he has, not to be a regular starter is uh, quite hard to take, really. Uh, but um, fair play to him. His attitude is bang on. I know, obviously, Tony, you've got extensive football knowledge. Maybe it doesn't extend quite to the, the Polish Premier League or the Polish top division. <laughs> um, but I've just had a look at Legia Warsaw, currently 14th out of 18 teams. Um, they're not, they've not had the best of starts. Three wins in, in their seven games, four defeats as well. Lost 3-2 at the weekend. But I think critically, they beat Spartak Moscow in Moscow in, in their first game of, of the group. So they're, they're clearly going to be a, a tough opposition. Yeah, I mean, you you can only deal and, and uh, deal with facts, Dan. And I know you read out that by the sounds of it, their league form doesn't sound too too good at the moment. But you know, um, I, you do what I did this morning, which is look at that Europa League table, and they're 
top of the table at the moment. Going to Poland to play any team um, in Poland is not going to be an easy game. You've got the travelling aspect as well. You know, we all knew that this was a tough group for Leicester. And, you know, Matt's right. He's got to get the balance right. The, the, the manager, in terms of who you play now, you know, do you go for, uh, you know, a back three or almost a back five, if you like, keep it solid at the back or almost make sure you don't lose the game because, you know, looking at this, I think it's it's one of those games you don't want Legia Warsaw winning this game, Leicester on one point, Legia on six points, and already you're then chasing to try and top the group. You know, you, you've got to try and win the group because you want to try and get automatically through to the to the knockout phase. You don't want to be getting finishing second and playing a, I think it's a Champions League qualifier because that's going to be a tough game, you know that. So it's really, really important to try and get the balance right in, in terms of winning that group. So, you know, in an ideal world, Brendan, I look at it, so, oh, this is a nice, easy game. Oh, I'll rest Jamie Vardy, I'll rest so-and-so, so-and-so, and then I'll, you know, make eight changes. The reality is I'm not sure he's going to be able to do that because I do think this will be a tough game. I'm confident Leicester can go there and get a result, but you can't make too many changes. And when you do make lots of changes, it just upsets the, the rhythm of the team. You know, your bowl means make two or three changes, tweak it a little bit, tweak the system. Yeah, I get all that. But you know, I don't think Brendan will make seven or eight changes. I don't think he can afford to. And of course, you've also got to look and take into consideration the, the, the Premier League table. And if you look at that, Leicester, what, 13th at the moment? And although it's not, it's early days, it's only six games into it, I understand that. Leicester don't want to be in the bottom half of the table, that's for sure. So, you know, looking at the game coming up at the weekend, Palace at the weekend, it, that's, that's a tough game. So it's really difficult for the man. He's really got to juggle things around. He's got to get the result in Poland but he's also got to make sure he gets the result of the weekend. And that's why it's so difficult to, to, I think, to manage when you've got those six guaranteed games in Europe. It makes it really difficult for the manager to get the balance right. I trust Brendan. I think, you know, in general, he normally gets the decisions right. So it'll be a very interesting team selection on Thursday. It's frustrating, Matt, when you look at the group because it, it's, without doubt, it is the toughest group, I think, in, in the Europa League this season. And, and normally, I think because the competition has been condensed a little bit and, and they've got the, the UEFA Europa Conference League as well, that normally in a group you'd expect there to be one team that, that you fancy to beat home and away. Whereas, in, and, and as Tony said, you can maybe look to make changes in those games. But with a group as it is at the moment, none of those games appeal that way, do they really? No, not at all. Um, as soon as the draw came out, you took a little bit of a intake of breath, didn't you? And thought that could have been a little bit kinder. But it is what it is. Um, you know, that's not going to change. And I don't think you can, you know, you say frustrating. Yeah, but I mean, you can't let that become, you know, a negative feeling. Really, you just. Uh, you know, you, you expect to play against quality opposition in Europe. Where, you know, even if it's not the Champions League, Europa League, um, there's some big clubs in there. And <laughs> I suppose, yeah, in your mind, you hope for that ideal draw. But um, it hasn't happened. It's a tough challenge. But, uh, you know, Leicester have, have got to get on with it. But it does give, you know, a headache. Even even if you're playing against lesser opposition, shall we say, you know, but that team was in the group you expect to get a result against. Still a little bit of a conundrum because, you know, people say that the bread and butter of things, Premier League, you know, is the most important. But at the end of the day, there's so much talk and speculation and emphasis about getting into a European qualifying spot in the league. You know, you, when you get into that competition, you, you, you've got to give it your best shot. And 
like genuinely. And I think, I think Brendan will, but as he seems to try to do in all competitions, in fairness, I mean, I, I can't remember him putting out a side where people could grumble too much about you know, the weakness of it, such as the, the strength and depth of Leicester squad anyway these days, where everything they put out you know, is capable of getting a result. But um, I, I, I'm in agreement with Tony. I think he'll go pretty strong, pretty strong on Thursday because of the points that Tony just made there. Because, you know, you, you fought so hard, worked so hard to get into this competition, you don't want to fall out of it lightly. And if things were to go awry on Thursday, all of a sudden, in a difficult situation. Would a, a point in Poland be a good evening, do you think? Yeah. Oh, it, it, it would be sufficient. I think they would be expecting better. Um, you know, Leicester have got a... I always think you know, Leicester have got to sort of remind themselves of, of how good they are or how good they can be. You know, they're, they're competing consistently over the last couple of years with the elite clubs in, in England, of course, but in turn, some of the best clubs in Europe. Um, and they do well against them regularly. So, you know, to come up against Legia Warsaw away from home, a difficult challenge, yeah. But I think they should have that belief in themselves that they expect to go there and win if they apply themselves correctly. Uh, a draw wouldn't be the end of the world, of course, because it would stop the momentum for Warsaw. But yeah, they've got to go there thinking they're more than capable of winning it. Uh, Tony, you, you nodded along. You said yes when I asked that question originally to Matt. So you think that a point will, will be good on, on Thursday? Yeah, but very similar feelings to, to, to Matt, though, Daniel. And listen, you don't ever go anywhere saying, oh, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll play for a draw, quite obviously. Um, there's more than enough you know, talent in the squad, whatever team Brendan picks, to go to. Legia and go and get a win um, but um, as I said with them winning their first game it's much more you know it's people always talk about must win games and sometimes I think games are almost like a don't lose game <laughs> excuse me and this is definitely a don't lose game because if you do lose less than one point Legia six points it, it, you're chasing and, and as we've already touched on it's not as if you've got a group where you've got a team that everyone's going to beat where you know you're going to get a guaranteed six points that is not going to happen in this group. This is going to be a very, very tight group. Um, I don't think, you know, you're not going to see someone romp away with 11, 12, 13 points. I think it might be one of those sort of low points group where everyone's sort of beating each other or certainly drawing against each other. So, um, yeah, it's not the end of the world if, if Leicester get a point. Obviously, we want them to win, but I think a point could well turn out to be a good point in Legia. Uh, yep, yeah, uh, obviously, Match Day Live on LCFC TV will have you covered on Thursday. It's a quarter to six kickoff, uh, so we'll be on air from quarter past four. Uh, so maybe if you finish work a little bit early, you can uh, you can tune into Match Day Live on Thursday for that game away in Poland. Um, let's switch back to the Premier League, Tony, to some of the other results that took place at the weekend. I always say, have you got kind of one fixture that's, that stood out to you? Um, probably the Brentford Liverpool game. I think in terms of entertainment and, and goals and, and you know excitement, I think that probably was the, the game for me. I didn't manage to watch the game live, but you know again I, I saw the highlights. It looked a fantastic game where you know Brentford were a bit unlucky there. That goal disallowed at the end, quite rightly so. They could quite you know they could have won the game four three, but they've shown a real signal of intent obviously at that opening day win against Arsenal and then you're playing at home it's dream territory for Brentford isn't it not being in the top flight for what is it 60, 70 years whatever it is you're playing at home to Liverpool you're playing at home to Arsenal 
and you know it's it's such a really it's a really good club as well. So I'm really pleased for for Brentford and the game I covered earlier on. Dan, I I, I was working and I I done Chelsea versus Man City and. I must admit, I nearly fell asleep in the first half. It was a real dull affair with no shots on target. So to have a game later on Saturday evening with six goals, and it could have been a lot more, I really enjoyed the Brentford-Liverpool game. How about you, Matt? Yeah, that's a standout game, isn't it, in terms of goals, entertainment and uh, yeah, excitement value. But, um, yeah, they, they've done exceptionally well, haven't they, Brentford? Really, I mean, I, we've seen them a couple of times over recent years with Leicester playing them on a couple of occasions, but albeit against much changed lineups. And having seen them in those games, I, I thought they look, I thought they might struggle at the level of the Premier League. But in fairness to them, it wasn't their strongest eleven. far from it. But um, yeah, they, they seem to have a good mix, good attitude, don't they? And a good approach to the game. Uh, the, the manager... Yeah, very much so. Yeah, just going to come to him. And the manager, you know, knows knows his stuff, doesn't he? He gets them all buying into his beliefs. And uh, they've got a good balance of play. But as you mentioned, Tony, the centre forward, he's, uh, you know, he's more than just a handful as well. He's bright, isn't he? You know, he's powerful, he's a good finisher. He's got an eye for goal. He likes roughing up. Um, opposition defenders and you know he's a little bit something out of the ordinary and um, yeah it was very good I mean you mentioned that goal that could have been the winner that was actually rightly given offside but how well did he take that Tony wouldn't it touch bang again we talk yeah. about taking chances early um, goalkeeper had no time to, to set himself it was it was so slick um, unfortunately from Brentford's point of view not given, but uh, yeah, showed what he's capable of. They look good. But uh, I'm with you on the, the Man, Man City and Chelsea games. Are all been, they're so tight, aren't they? Such tactical affairs. And so, you know, well contested, really. The, the, the match-up between the two teams, there's so little difference between them. Different approaches, I know, but it makes for a dull game the majority of the time, you know. Champions League final was, was pretty similar. wasn't the most entertaining. And it was a little bit of a carbon copy at the weekend, wasn't it? Even though it's probably the biggest game, not just of the weekend. Some people would say of the season because it's two top title contenders. But, uh, yeah, I, I quite enjoyed the, uh, <clears throat> the Aston Villa win at Man U, the, the way proceedings went there. That was quite comical at the end with... Uh, Goalkeeper Martinez, did you see him having a little... Yeah, it was great, Matt, wasn't it? You're going to win. Yeah, it was, it was quite entertaining, shall we say. Bruno Fernandes missing late on with a penalty. Uh, I right. don't think take the next one, Dan, will he? I think Ronaldo might take the next one. I don't think Fernandes will be on that penalty next time. <laughs> yeah, you'd, you'd think so. Um, right, let's go on to our football jungle then at the end of extra time. Um, these two will go head-to-head. Uh, on a topic, uh, it's got to give me answers if they get it wrong or if they repeat one, uh, they are out. Right, today's theme is with Leicester City playing in the Europa League on Thursday. I want you to name the last 23 teams that Leicester have faced in cup competitions. <laughs> the, last, the last 23 yeah, opposition teams that Leicester have played in all cup competitions. So the Carabao Cup, the Europa League, oh, okay. uh, and the FA Cup as well. Um, 
to give you a bit of an idea of, of 23, that's from the start of the 2018 to 19 season. That's how far back it goes, so the last three and a bit seasons. If you don't win this, Matt, then you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, then. Um, right, Tony, because you're at the bottom of the screen, you can go first for me, please. I'm going to go, we were just talking about, I'm Brentford. Is that correct? Yeah. <laughs> I know, I just mentioned myself. Um, Millwall. Dan, I didn't hear what Matt said there. My line's terrible, Dan. What did he say? Uh, Matt said Millwall. Millwall, yeah. Okay. Um, um, yeah, <laughs> um, Norwich. No. I was going to say, that's not in there, is it? No. No. Yeah, well, well that, that, that is the shortest uh, football jack we've had so far. Uh, Steve, Steve, what about the FA Cup final? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, see, we say too early like... in the morning for that, Tony, isn't it, really? Oh, yeah, um, the break. Functioning too early in the morning. So. To be fair, yeah, I, to be fair. I think you're always going to struggle on that. I had a few, I had a few in this. I know, man. I know. And you do cover more games than me. Exactly. Matt, Matt's covered every single one of those, pretty much, haven't he? Uh, yeah, I'll run exactly. through yeah. very quickly. Here, yeah. Here's what you could have had: uh, AEK Athens, Arsenal, Aston Villa, Birmingham, Braga, Brighton, Burton, Chelsea, Everton, Fleetwood, Luton, Man City, Man United. Napoli, Newcastle, Newport, Southampton, Stoke, Wigan, Wolves, and Zoya, Luhans. Oh, all the research that's gone into that. Easy, man. You've said it. Exactly. Uh, exactly. All the hard work that's gone into that question, TC. I've just killed it off. Loon. Yeah. <laughs> all that research I had to do this morning, trawling back through the seasons to get it, and we're, we're two answers in that Matt's won it. But anyway, that's the way it well goes. Done, uh, yeah, thank you very much, uh, as ever. Uh, to Tony Cotty and to Matt Elliott for their company uh, here on Extra Time. As we said, we'll be back on Thursday uh, for that game in the Europa League, so do be honest for Manchester Live then. See you later, guys. Cheers, Dan. Cheers, 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 TC.